Good morning, everyone. It's just a pleasure to worship with you guys today. Um, as we have taken the Lord's Supper, it's going to lead us right into what our text is going to be today. We're going to be continuing in Romans, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through chapter 8, verses uh, 38. Now this is a big goal. I was telling Jeff this week, I said, man, I am so sorry you had such a big chunk of scripture because this is very difficult. There are some really important topics in here, theological evidences that Paul gives, but... Um, we're not going to have time to cover everything in these three chapters. So I encourage you guys to read them on your own throughout the week. Um, And as we have been doing our devotions throughout the week, we have been trying to hit upon things that are going to happen throughout the text that we can't get to. So I encourage you to read or listen to those throughout the week. But today, we're going to be focusing in on... Two truths. The the big question is, how do the law and sin impact my life as a believer in Jesus? Some kind of tough questions of how does sin affect me if I am dead to sin? How does the law affect me if the law is good? How does it affect the Christian? So, the introduction. Before we get started, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for... Uh, your truths in the word. God, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would um, let us be receptive to your word, and that you would give us insight and understanding as we open your word. I pray that you would bless this time, and that it would glorify and honor you. And it's in your son's name I ask these things, Jesus. Amen. So a little review of what Paul, his reasoning and the logic that has been going on so far in Romans Remember the first week we hit upon that there's one salvation. There's a grace that saves. And there's power in that salvation. It gives us the righteousness of God. And then we went on to to talk about how all men are guilty. We are condemned, deserving of God's wrath and his judgment. But God is still righteous in his wrath and judgment because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. No one can be saved by religious deeds and by keeping the law. That was the third week. We talked about how we cannot be saved by what we do. And, and uh, Paul gives his reasoning and gives the example of how we are saved by the justification justification through faith. And he gives the example of Abraham. He has explained that God's way of salvation has always been by grace through faith, not by faith through works. We still have grace. Even in the Old Testament, there was still grace throughout the law. God gave opportunity to the Israelites to have grace and have fellowship with him by being obedient to God through the law. That was the only way that we could obtain righteousness. But we see this shift, this new covenant, where we're going to be getting into today in Romans. So that is the introduction leading up to this point. As we dive in, we see that Paul has been making this argument that no one can obtain this righteousness, that it's a free gift from God. Now he's going to go on and give his reasoning behind his his um, 
He's going to give the reasoning of our, our justification, why it is so that it is only by faith. He's going to then move on into what it looks like as a believer. So through, please forgive me, um, I was having a real hard time picking what verses to read, and so um, please just, yeah, please forgive me. Be gracious already. All right, so in chapter 5, there's two truths being told, and we're not going to read chapter 5 because of the fact we're short on time, and I feel like God's leading us in a different direction, but there's these two truths that are being told, leading about our justification. Paul says that there's blessing in our justification, that the justification doesn't happen for things to come, but we can enjoy these blessings now as a Christian. Those blessings in verse 1 of chapter 5 is peace with God. Verse 2, access to God. Verse uh, 2b, uh, glorious hope. 3 and 4 is the Christian character. God's love within in 5 and 8 and reconciliation with God. These are the blessings that we can enjoy here and now today. These are the gifts given through the justification. Now he goes on to make the argument, or the defense of justification, in verses 12 through 21. Through one man came sin, and that man was Adam, as we know. And by that one man there came death. Now at this point there was no law, but there was still death. So no one knew what sin was, only Adam, because he chose to be disobedient to God. But the people leading from Adam to Moses didn't know what sin was because there was no law to tell them what sin was and what to obey. But there was still the evidence of death, is what Paul is saying. And by this evidence, also through one man, Jesus Christ can give righteousness. We can have righteousness through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is the basis of justification that Paul is leading us into. I want to read the last part of chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, because this leads into the discussion which we're going to get into in chapter 6. So verses 18 through 20, it says, So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the next three chapters, or these next chapters through 6, 7, and 8, he is going to give this defense upon justification, but he is also going to throw in what it means, the sanctification process. Sanctification means to set apart, to make holy, free from sin, to purify, and to change the moral of the Christian. 
So there's this shift of sanctification, this process that has to happen when someone comes to Christ. Because up to chapter 5, everyone would know that they're a sinner and what they do to be saved. So you would be saved, but they don't know what comes after that. So this is what comes after that. Now people would have been, because of 18 through 20, people would have been like, so what? We sin because of the fact that where grace, where sin is, grace abounds all the more. And Paul, knowing that people were going to be asking this question, already asks it before they can ask it to give the answer. And we see it in verse 1. He says, what should we say then? Of chapter 6, sorry. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. Paul raises an objection in verse 1. What should we say then? What, what, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? He is concerned that people are going to use this truth and abuse it. That we should continue in sin. Because if there's not a law that says you have to do these things, then there's no real authority to, to our salvation. But grace, he's saying, you don't continue in sin so that grace may abound. It's not your job to sin and God's job to give you grace and to forgive you. Though he does. That's not the process. That's not the mindset that we're supposed to be having of, it's okay to sin because God's going to forgive me. He says, absolutely not. After all, God loves sinners. Then why worry about sin? I will do my job and God will do his. Should we continue? This verb tense is present active. Paul is talking a habitual sin. A continuing sin that is happening throughout one's life. This is the believer's life. Paul is saying, do you have slander in your life that controls your life, that is a habit to you? Do you have anger? Do you have pornography that controls your life? Do you have gossip? Do you have lying that controls your life? Cheating somebody out of money? Well, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have, I don't, I don't really do a lot of bad things. Well, what about the sin of doing nothing? Because sin is not just doing of the bad, but it is also the failure of doing good, of what God has called us to. So we can be in sin by not being obedient to what he has called us to, which is to love him, to love others, and to make disciples. If we are failing in that, then we are in sin. We may not be addicted to pornography, or we may not be addicted to lying and cheating somebody, but we are in sin because we are not doing something for God. In Numbers chapter 32, verses um, 3 through 15, I'm not going to read all of it, but what is happening up to this point? Cool. 
What is happening, Don? What is happening up to this point is there's two tribes. And these tribes are Reuben and Gad, the Reubenites and the Gadites, I think is how you say it. Um, but these tribes, they are making their way through to Canaan, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And on their way, they, they come into battle. And they get done with battle, and they conquer these, these, two, different, um, these two different nations. And they say, man, we really like this this town. We really like it. This is, would be great for pasture. This would be great um, for our livestock to be here. We could really raise up our country. You know, we, if we could just have this territory for ourselves, then we'll be satisfied. So he goes to Moses, Reuben, and the Gadites. They go to Moses and they ask, starting in, um, let's see, starting in verse 5. If we have found favor with you, let us let, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. So they didn't want to go and continue on where God has called them to, into the promised land. But Moses asked the Gadites and the Reubenites, Should your brothers go to war while you stay here, while you are discouraging, discouraging the Israelites from war? While you stay here, while discouraging, okay, from crossing into the land the Lord has given them. That's what your fathers did, crossing into the land that the Lord... I keep on rereading this. I don't, I'm so sorry. After they went up as far as Eskel Valley and saw the land, they discouraged the Israelites from ent- entering the land the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger burned that day, and he swore an oath, because they did not remain loyal to me. None of the men, 20 years old or more, who came up from Egypt will see the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is where they now wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But what happened? There is three charges that, they, that was brought upon them. You abandoned your mission. You abandoned what God had called you into. You harmed your fellow Israelites. You discouraged them. And they went after what they wanted. They sinned against the Lord. So there was punishment for them. All this to say, you can be doing good, but it could be opposed to the thing of God, and you are in sin. And that is what he is talking about. Is there a habitual sin in your life? That is causing you to sin. Should we continue in sin? And he says absolutely not. In Romans Romans 6 verse 2. Absolutely not. Don't even think that. Don't perish that thought. Don't let it even come into your mind. Sin can no longer have dominion over you. Because you have grace does not mean that you can sin. A life of sin is unacceptable because our death to sin changes our relationship to sin. And he goes on in the next verses and he gives the illustration of the baptism. We are baptized into Christ. We are dead to our old self. In order to to, um, have victory over sin, we need to die to our old self. Put it off. Before we came to Christ, no of any freedom. 
but we are being baptized into Christ. And he gives the illustration that we are dead to ourselves, buried to ourselves, and then resurrected into new life into Christ. So with this illustration, we see that we walk now in newness of life. In order, there's six things I want to go over of how we can have victory over sin because it is not to be a part of the Christian. How do we defeat sin? First, we have to know God. Verses 1 through 10 of chapter 6 gives us we have an identity in Christ and in his death. Jesus conquered sin, the root, not sins. He conquered the root, sin and death, by his death. So we have to identify with Christ that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the first thing. Is You'll see this in verses 1 through 10. If Satan can keep you Christian ignorant... He can keep you impotent. You will not be used by God. And if we're not being used by God, we're in sin. If we're not being obedient to what God has called us to, we're in sin. Justification is not just a legal matter between man and God, but rather it is a relationship, a living relationship between God and the sinner, who is now a saint. This is a continual process of getting to know who God is. First Peter or Second Peter talks about how we are to grow in knowledge and peace of God. We have to submit ourselves to God and to knowing who God is. That's the first part of how we can defeat sin and have victory in sin. And mind you, this only comes through Jesus Christ. This has nothing to do with you. You have no power in doing Overcoming sin. But first, you have to know him. Second, in verses 2 through 5, we are now dead to sin. We have already talked about this, this illustration of baptism. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus in John 3? He says, you are to be born again into a new life, into a new spirit. You are now dead to your old self, and you are now new in the creation of the Spirit. You have a new mindset. You are now dead to the old you, and you have to turn and have a new focus towards something else. And that something else is having that new mindset and that new spirit being born again. Too many Christians are betweeners. They are saved but never satisfied. They're living between Good Friday and the resurrection, believing in the cross, but not entering into the power and glory of the resurrection. The cross is good because it saves me, but they do not 
have the power of God living in them, which gives them the ability to defeat the sin that has bound them. And that we see in verse 4, I believe, of Romans 6. Starts today. That is something that continues right now and on into the eternal glory. This isn't something to come. He's already given it to you. We're already dead, and we're already having the power of the resurrection within us. We were buried and raised. We walk in the newness of life today. The third thing, I guess there's only five. I lied. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> third thing, we should not serve sin. We see this in verses 6 through 10. The body is neutral. And like Jesus said, it cannot have two masters. As he was, only, he was talking about the love of money and the love of God, you cannot love both. Same thing applies here. The body is neutral. You cannot serve both sin and satisfy the desire of sin and also serve God. So you need to be in complete submission to God and service of our King. The fourth thing is reckon or consider. It, de- it depends on what translation you are using. This one in verse 11 is consider. Verse 11 says, So you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive in God and Christ. Now consider is used within, um, I believe in all of this, it is used in 11, but it's used throughout the next few verses. He does the work like we've talked about, and once you believe, he doesn't just tell you to be dead to sin and alive to him, but he is the one who creates it in you. He's, this is a part of that gift of grace. He doesn't tell you just to do these things. You do have something to do, but he gives you a new mindset. The relationship with sin now has shifted which you once indwelled, indwelled you and kept you bonded, now it repulses the believer. You should be sensitive to sin and the things that are going on. The sin that Satan is trying to use to attack you and make you unworthy. You should be sensitive to those things. Because If not, we can go down a road of destruction. And remember back in in Romans um, 1, 18 through 32, God gives gives us over. He'll even give his children over to the debase of their minds and the hearts of their passions. Just because we are saved. I have to be very, very careful with this. But... Because we are saved does not give us, give us a reason to live in sin. And if we continue to live in sin, there is consequences. 
The consequences, you quench the Holy Spirit. You have an unfruitful Bible study. You're not able to learn and enjoy the presence of God. You don't have the peace of God. You don't have the joy any longer. There's a lot of stuff that goes with the sin of a believer. So consider also that you're a new creation, one that loves God and hates sin. We now offer ourselves, we consider ourselves to the work, to God and God's work. The fifth thing is we see in verses 12 through 23 is we offer ourselves. Yield or offer. Offer or yield is used five times in this section in verses 13, 16, and 19. This means offer yourself as a sacrifice to Christ. We see this in Romans 12, 1 through 2. You are now sacrificing yourself to God and not to sin. You want to defeat sin and have victory over sin. Your focus needs to be on pleasing God and not yourself. Is now giving God your everything and the people around you to loving them. Can't be focused on you and your desires. This is a constant battle within us. We see um, in chapter 7, 14 through 15 or 25, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I I want to do what is good, evil is present within me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of the mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin, the parts of my body. Can we relate to Paul in this? Other than that, it's a tongue twister to read. But can we, re- can we relate that there's this war that is, that is waging inside of us, that we want to please God, but yet we have this natural, natural thing inside of us that is fighting us, that wants to fulfill the desires that we want? He says, oh, wretched man, am I? What is going to free me from this? Verse 25, I love, and it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus has freed us, but that doesn't release us from the sin. He has freed us from the bondage of sin and brought us into the newness of life. Now, Christian, it's up to you to either continue in that or continue to the slave. You have the power of the resurrection that lives within you to overcome and have victory over sin. And that's what all of six is talking about. 
So that's the first part. That's how sin affects the believer and its relationship with the believer. Now, I'm not going to take that long to go on through the law. I'm sorry. But we have freedom from the law. What is the relationship between the law and the believer? This we get in chapter 7. But first, remember in Romans 3.20, For no one will be justified in the sight of works. The knowledge of sin comes through the law. Works of the law, the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So we know what sin is based on the law. Like I said before, you are the through Adam and Moses, there was no knowledge of sin. There was just death. But now that the law has came, we understand what sin is, what offends God. There's this holy standard. Romans 7, 6 through 13 says, But now we have through the law, we're working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would have... I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang up at, to life again. And I died, the commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then the law, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what it was good, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. The law was given to the Jews. This was the old covenant. If a man wanted relationship with God, he was to obey these laws. Believer, we are not bound to these laws. There is the new covenant through the blood of Jesus, as we talked about with the Lord's Supper. But God used the law to bring the knowledge of sin. He used it for his people, Israel, which also was where grace comes from. Jesus became a man. In what nation? The Jewish nation. So the law is holy. The commandment is holy. It is spiritual. It is just. It is good. It is of God. But I am fleshy. That's what Paul is saying. I'm, I'm fleshy. I cannot keep this law. 
No one can. We've went over that. But that's the good news. As we we close in chapter 8, I'll read chapter 8. No one can keep this law. And the law cannot change you. We see that in verse 14. The law cannot enable you to do good. It just tells you what is good and what is bad. And the law cannot set you free. We see this in verse 21 through 25. There is no power in the law. There is no saving power within the law. It doesn't give you a new mindset. It doesn't give you a new life. It doesn't create in you a new being. That's only the Spirit of God. To close, we will close with chapter 8, 1 through... I'm not going to read 14. I've been having a hard time reading today, so... We'll just read verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. The law cannot control you. We're given a new life through Jesus Christ. And the ones who are in Jesus, there is now no condemnation for your sin. There is no punishment for your sin because Jesus took that on himself. He hung on that tree taking on your sin, my sin, and saying, I'll give you a new life. I will give you a new spirit. I'm going to give you eternal life. And guess what? It's all because I love you. You have, you you can't do anything to earn this. I think of that song, I cannot earn it, I do not deserve it. Still your love, or still you loved me, I think. I don't know. I don't deserve it. Still your love. Yeah, you, you guys probably don't know it from that, but <laughs> it's in my head. But God gives you a new life. How amazing. How amazing it is that we do not deserve it, but God gives it to us anyway as this free gift. And he says, you're in me. I've taken that punishment on for you. There's no more condemnation for you. How beautiful. What a great love. Something to die to your old self for and to be alive because he grants it to us now. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for your love and we 